This podcast was recorded on Monday, December 10th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know, people don't like it that, that the Parliament Buildings of Canada is on stolen land. Like, what other word can you call it? It's been stolen. Nobody ever gave it up. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge that we are gathered on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. And we are very grateful to be welcome. I'd like to acknowledge for the sake of reconciliation that we're meeting on the traditional unceded lands of the Algonquin peoples. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. Madam Speaker, uh, I am pleased to rise today to answer the question from my honourable colleague and I would like to acknowledge that I do so on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. The traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin nation. The traditional territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabe peoples. But I also think it's important that we acknowledge the languages spoken by the traditional people of this land. So in a phrase of greeting, Mino Ishkwa Nawakwe. Good afternoon. And in their language, say thank you, Miigwech. We acknowledge them as the past, present, and future caretakers of this land. I'd like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. As my honourable colleagues know, this recognition is a small but important way in which to advance reconciliation. Ottawa's politicians routinely stand up and declare they're doing business on land that is unceded territory. But what is Ottawa ready to do about it? I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. On this show, the Liberal government promised to carve a new path with Indigenous people. Canada needs a renewed nation-to-nation relationship with Aboriginal communities. Last year, the government split the Indigenous and Northern Affairs Department. It wanted an increased focus, it said, on better social outcomes for Indigenous people and a dedicated ministry to advancing self-determination and self-government. We hope that we can do more together than we could do on our own. But how are expectations measuring up to outcomes? In this episode, we look at the specific case of the contested lands on which Parliament sits. We'll tour the unceded lands, get the lowdown on the complex legal dispute, and speak with Carolyn Bennett, the Minister of Crown and Indigenous Relations. Stick around. HuffPost Canada reporter Zian Lum has been looking into the land claims focused on where Parliament is located, and she joins me now, even though she's getting over a cold. Hi, Z. Hi, Althea. Sorry for my scratchy voice here. Thanks for being with us. Tell me about this current legal case. How did it get started? So we're going to rewind the clock back to 2016. That's when Kitagon Zabi's chief filed a lawsuit in court claiming a stretch of land in downtown Ottawa that we're currently on right now that includes the House of Commons the Senate, and the Supreme Court. So what's particularly interesting about this case is that it came two months just after the Algonquins of Ontario signed in agreement in principle with the federal and provincial governments for the very same piece of land. The very same piece of land. Yes, the very same piece of land. But what's different between these two different and competing cases is that the Algonquins of Ontario they're claiming a large swath of eastern Ontario, whereas Kitagon Zibi, their land claim is restricted to pretty much a parcel of land in downtown Ottawa. Interesting. 
Um, this case is also coming at an interesting point. We have a federal government that um, has decided and campaigned on treating the relationship between Indigenous peoples differently. How has that affected the, the way these two cases have unfolded? Hmm. It's a sort of litmus test for how far the Liberals are willing to go to rebuild that broken relationship. I had the chance to spend time with a Kittagon ZB elder. He took me on a tour of the land in downtown Ottawa at the center of the court case, and he told me about what the lands mean for him. My name is uh, Albert Dumont. All my relations know me as Oshkinodin, which means new wind. Albert is a spiritual advisor and human rights activist, born and raised on traditional Algonquin territory in Kitagon Zibi, 130 kilometers north of Ottawa. He's come to the city to visit his daughter and grandchildren for the weekend. Albert is showing us the islands near Chaudière Falls, nestled in the Ottawa River, an area many elders believe is sacred. It's also where construction crews are building 1,200 condo units over the next 15 years. So that's the, uh, the Ottawa River. That, 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 that river, when the first uh, European explorers came here, they, they, they knew how uh, precious it was for the Algonquin Anishinaabe. And they called it, the, those first explorers called it the Great River of the Algonquins. And we called ourselves the Kichizipurini, which means uh, the people of the Great River. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the river. I'm meeting him on Victoria Island by an abandoned carbide mill. It's cold, and there's snow on the ground. From here, we can see Parliament Hill and the Supreme Court. On the other side of the main road is Albert Island. Shodier Falls is nearby, which is at the center of this land debate. It used to be a popular tourist attraction before it was dammed more than a hundred years ago to generate power for local mills and sealed off from public access. Today, the paper, pulp, and sawmills are gone. Industry left, and so did the people. The site became more rundown through the years. Then, in 2013, local developer Windmill Development Group bought the site from a paper company so it could build a waterfront community of condos and businesses. It's named Zibi the Algonquin word for river. The project has some high-profile backers, including Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson. He praised it as a way to breathe new life into an uninhabited part of the city. The city approved a $60 million grant this summer to clean up the site, which was contaminated by the pulp and paper industry. Albert is against the project. He doesn't want to see condos built. He doesn't want more public money going into the private project. The only way I'd like it is if, is if I was uh, bowed and knelt before the, the almighty dollar. And I, I'll never do that. Instead, Albert wants to see the island's industrial landscape restored as a public park. Building a condo community with an Algonquin name on unceded Algonquin territory isn't the kind of reconciliation Albert hoped for. He thinks it's a slap in the face. They say, let, let us reconcile. Well, where, where are they going to start? You know, they, they, like right here, for instance, there's a, a, a sacred site that has been our sacred site for millennia. And the, uh, the Algonquin Anishinaabe, a place of prayer and ceremony where a human being could go and uh, better themselves and to understand more about why they process their thoughts the way they do, uh, as opposed to uh, the next person. The, that's where we've been going for so long, 
And then when industry came and uh, settlers, the, the Algonquin Anishinaabe were, were pushed out of here in the 1830s. Mm. We couldn't live here anymore. It, it just wasn't safe. There was nothing left. Indigenous spirituality was outlawed till almost 1960. We didn't get the right to vote till 1960. Finally, they say it's enshrined in, in the Constitution that we have a right to freedom of religious expression. And yet they, they stop us from going to our, our sacred place, Kikojuan, known as Chaudière Falls. That's like a government that would say to, to Christians, you could be a Christian anywhere you want. You have that right. But don't let us catch you going into a church. Now, no, nobody would put up with that but yet they expect us to put up with it. They'll say, indigenous spirituality is no longer outlawed, but you can't go into your sacred place though. We're gonna build condos there, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give a developer the green light to build condos at your sacred place and forever destroying it for you having access to it anymore. Is that reconciliation? Because if it is, I need somebody to tell me in plain, simple language, what kind of reconciliation is that? Algonquin elders say the islands have been used as a sacred site for hundreds of years. French explorer Samuel de Champlain saw it with his own eyes. He wrote in 1613 that Algonquin tribes used the islands for meetings and tobacco ceremonies, sort of like a peaceful no man's land. Stories like this were passed on by Algonquin elders, and they influenced other proposals to turn the area into a public park and acknowledge its indigenous history. But those plans never went anywhere. I reached out to Jeff Westein with Windmill Development Group, which is building the condo complex. The company says it's taken its duty to consult indigenous peoples seriously. Uh, we did a very broad-based uh, community consultation in, in uh, Gatineau, in Ottawa, uh, with the National Capital Commission, uh, with several of the Algonquin communities, um, to say what what should or could happen on these lands. So, based on on the feedback we got, this mix of uses uh, is what I guess I'd call it rose to the top. While the developers acknowledge that ZB is being built on unceded Algonquin territory, they say so is the rest of Western Ontario and Northern Quebec. In that respect, Bastinus says ZB is not alone development inside of areas that are under land claim uh, is, is a very common practice in Canada. And the challenge that, that uh, I think all of, all of Canada faces uh, is that uh, there is a significant lack of clarity around um, how should, I'll pick us as a private sector developer, um, how and when uh, and how often should a private sector uh, development developer engage um, with First Nations and which First Nations should they engage with. Um, There's a significant lack of clarity around that. Back on cold Victoria Island, Albert, our Kittagon ZB elder, is steadfast in what drives his outspoken campaign. I, I'm a father of daughters. I've got grandchildren. I've got four grandchildren. And I have to say that, that I love uh, water and the wind, and the land, and all the things of the land, all the things of the water. I love those things as much as I love my own flesh and blood relatives. And that's because without those things, 
I know that my daughters would die. I know that my grandchildren would die. And that's why I have to love these things. I'm duty bound. Indigenous land claims often drag on for decades and require significant legal resources. Looking in the direction of the condo sale center, Albert admits he's now holding onto threads of hope. There's not very many politicians who are standing with us. You know, Romeo Saganash is, and there's other, uh, um, we're going to be approaching other, other politicians and maybe senators to help us, but we, uh, I'm, I'm ready to hear them say that they can't help us. of years um, to get us into this mess. So it's going to take some time to get it out of this mess. But I think that that it is exciting to be able to feel the pace of progress. Hi, I'm Carolyn Bennett. Uh, I'm the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations for Canada. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. I want to start off by asking you about uh, this land claim uh, or these competing land claim agreements, I should say. What's the status of uh, both the agreement in principle that was reached with the Ontario Algonquins and this new court case that's being brought on by the um, uh, Quebec Algonquins? Well, I think that like all um, all of the relationships um, that were not acknowledged for centuries in a certain way, uh, we now are in the business of getting to the table to listen um, to our partners uh, to find out what they need in order to go forward. And uh, sometimes uh, there are competing interests or competing uh, points of view, um, but uh, um, that's what's exciting about uh, the place we're in now in the history of Canada where we're actually going to listen about about what we do about land that was taken without permission um, and that uh, and and how we go forward in a in a as the Prime Minister says a new relationship based on the recognition of rights respect cooperation and partnership and frankly how do we get out of court um, and by by getting to a table and hearing one another and then sorting out what would be fair. You know, at some point, I, I suppose a decision has to be made. And with the Ontario Algonquin, it took more than 25 years to reach an agreement in principle. I think it started in the mid-1980s. Um, the Quebec lawsuit was brought in in 2016. Is, is there a timeline? The timeline is starts with a conversation as to the kinds of things that really matter. And so we know uh, 
that William Commander um, had a real vision uh, for for Victoria Island and and a gathering place. And there are things that we need to have those conversations about about realizing a vision for the region as a place where people came together. Um, I think that uh, artificial timelines are haven't worked in the past in that what we saw with the previous government was take it or leave it, see you in a court. And that just didn't work. And I spent all that time in in opposition, hearing from um, First Nations, Inuit, Métis, that this just wasn't going to work. And so we just uh, last month uh, concluded the negotiation uh, with the with the Williams treaties, uh, uh, I, you know, for they've been in court a very, very long time. We come to the table and we make an agreement that is about their fishing and hunting rights and, and with a settlement and um, some, you know, uh, um, a, a way forward. We are um, making all kinds of agreements now, I think 58 agreements we've made since we formed government at a pace never seen before. We settled the Anderson um, lawsuit, um, uh, and and the prime minister made the apology um, for schools that weren't even in Canada at the time. They were in Labrador, and but it was the right thing for us to do, to settle those claims and to be able to move forward. In the last election, um, the Liberal Party promised a lot of things to Indigenous people. And uh, the Prime Minister, in his first speech to the Assembly uh, of First Nations, um, promised a great deal to them. Every mandate letter, not just yours, but every minister's mandate letter talks about building that nation-to-nation relationship. How far have you gone in fulfilling that promise? Well, I think the the National Chief was, um, was very positive uh, last week when the Prime Minister came to the AFN uh, in the things that had been promised, like an inquiry on missing and murdered Indigenous mm-hmm. people, about um, last year when the Prime Minister promised that there would be la- language uh, legislation to re- revitalize and protect and promote Indigenous languages. I think that um, even on things like land claims or on on the recognition of rights and those kinds of, of agreements, it really is about, as uh, as as Chief Sui at Wendake says, uh, it's a marriage, not a divorce. This is about how do we go forward together on this journey of reconciliation, knowing it's not a destination. Uh, Canada and the Crown will have to be corrected all the way because we have some pretty pretty ingrained habits of of paternalism and and superiority and uh, we will continue to be corrected but it really needs to feel like a partnership and it's only our partners that are going to be able to tell us whether it feels like a partnership or not you know i just had lunch with romeo saganash the um ndp critic and he he mentioned to me that he feels cynical now Reconciliation is, is not a talking point. It requires true understanding. He came here thinking that change could be made, and he believed the government's intentions. And now he is he no longer believes that you guys are there. Uh, first, about a student in my writing. His name is Ken Cameron. His Inuktitut name is Papikatuk. Ken comes from a community of Salawit. 
uh, about as far north as a person can travel in my writing. Yesterday he reached out to me asking why the government doesn't care about natives at all. It's his words. Ken wants to know why the government is using the natural resources in his home while treating natives like dirt, he said. Did you promise too much? I, I don't think that you can promise too much in, in, sure, I mean, I think in terms of these are things that we want to get done and they will take as long as they take in terms of making sure that the partnership stays like a partnership. But everyone is impatient. We are. The prime minister promised to live by every recommendation from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The prime minister promised to live up to the principles of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I mean, that bill, Romeo Saganash's bill, is still in the Senate as we speak and has yet to become law. When the government wants to do something, it does it. Like I think of um, the liberals branding on women, for example. Gender-based analysis is now part of everything the government does. Couldn't uh, UNDRIP be part of everything the government does without waiting for legislation to be passed? Should that not, if it wanted to look at everything through that prism, it could, but it so far has chosen not to. No, I think that we are looking at things through the that that lens of 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 indigenous rights. Uh, I think that even in in environmental assessment, Bill C. 69, mm-hmm. that uh, it means that Indigenous people and Indigenous knowledge needs to be applied at the very first idea of a project. That this this is a new way of looking at things. As I say, I, I didn't get a magic wand, uh, <laughs> um, but we work, we're working hard every day um, to really um, realize the promise um, that is what Canada could be working in partnership with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis. You are and have been in a version of this portfolio for three and a half years. What have you learned in those three and a half years? I think it's probably, um, I think that it, well, I think I've always known as a doctor (laughs) when not to prescribe. And so I think that that becomes very much part of of the way forward, that that it is asking, not telling. It is that the solutions will come um, uh, from our partners in a different way of doing things, a different worldview, and that... And that it's not a cookie cutter. What worked for one nation may not work for the other nation, but but to share um, what was tried for us to be more honest about our failures uh, as um, that when we try things and they don't work, then we we just need to take that as a learning and move on. And But I think that I... You always knew about trauma. I always knew about what happened when people have been hurt. Um, I think that uh, that uh, you know over the last three and a half years, uh, every day, uh, what Canada's done um, in terms of the wrongs. I think that that 
uh, breaks my heart almost every day. And I have to remember that our job is to try and repair that. You know, I mean, I think that's, that's what, what, you know, getting up every day uh, means to me is that we want to make sure this happens. What will you we'll, put in the window? Well, we we will have significant changes in policy, and we probably will we will have some legislation. And so, but again, it's a matter of making sure that we keep the momentum up for the change that that is way 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 overdue. Dr. Carolyn Bennett is the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations. Zian is back with me now. Minister Bennett was unwilling to say much about the Kitigan ZB lawsuit. What's your understanding of where things stand now? The government is telling us that it hopes to sign a memorandum of understanding with Kitigan ZB's band council in the new year. The memorandum of understanding is not a legally binding document. It just means that both sides are agreeing to talk. And it also signals that they're willing to work towards a negotiated settlement together. So it appears Ottawa is ready to make peace with Kitigan Zibi, the Algonquins from Quebec, as well as the Algonquins from Ontario. But what does that mean for the land on which Parliament sits? Well, nothing really. The federal government is not parting ways with any of that land. It's basically offering money. So Kitigan Zibi's lawsuit is what's known as a specific claim. It's filed in court to address alleged injustices related to Canada's treaty obligations or financial management agreements. The land claim by the Algonquins of Ontario is completely different. So that's a comprehensive land claim, which is made to claim Indigenous land rights that haven't been covered by treaty or other legal avenues. In that case, the federal and provincial governments are conceding some land and offering resource rights. But again, none of the territory on which Parliament or the Supreme Court sits. So we sit next to each other in the Ottawa office, and I know you've collected quite a bit of research for this episode. Was there anything that jumped out at you? I was never taught any of this in school, so I found all the research interesting, which I'm sure you noticed. I learned that it's a federal policy for First Nations to have to go to the government to get a loan so they could do research related to their land claims. So that money pays for legal advice, clerks, and the salary of negotiators, which I had no idea. The longer the land claim negotiation process takes, the bigger the government debt First Nations face. So that was really interesting to learn. Mm. I also spoke to Perry Belgard, the Assembly of First Nations National Chief, to understand how land claims remain a colonial process today. You know, when people start talking about land and resources, we've always talked about from a First Nations perspective that we were to mutually benefit from all the land and resource wealth we're sharing in Canada with everybody because we have 634 First Nations reserved. We're on less than 0.2% of the land base in Canada. The current policies that exist in Canada, the comprehensive claims policy and the specific claims policy and the additions to reserve policy and the inherent right to sell government policy are all based on termination of rights and title, not recognition of rights and title. And so currently the framework is not set up to get these things resolved because there's no respect for First Nations Aboriginal rights and title and jurisdiction. That's the issue. Earlier this year, we heard Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talk about a new framework he planned to legislate that would govern Ottawa's relationship with Indigenous communities. 
That was more than 10 months ago, and there's still no legislation. Minister Bennett talked about having some legislation in the window, but other bills have been promised and they're still not tabled. Z, what are you hearing about that? Well, we've kept hearing that the government hoped to table its Indigenous rights framework before the holidays, but the Prime Minister said earlier this month that more consultations are needed. So timing's a big TBD on that one. We're told to expect two bills in January, one on child welfare services and the other one on Indigenous language rights. Okay, let me just wrap by asking you about something else Minister Bennett mentioned. She spoke about a vision for Victoria Island and the falls. Tell me more about that. Yes, so there was a proposal to restore the land as parkland. That vision is credited to late Algonquin elder William Commanda, who was internationally renowned as a spiritual leader. Commanda wanted to see the islands return to Algonquin stewardship and made into a education park, which he thought would be a very nice symbol of reconciliation. He also wanted to build a conference center and indigenous center on Victoria Island to revive culture, language, and indigenous spirituality. His idea picked up some traction and got the support of the National Capital Commission, which oversees a lot of federal urban planning in the area. But Commanda died in 2011, and the site was eventually rezoned for condos. But the commission has a 50-year plan for the Victoria Island and includes something that has, quote, a place of special significance for Indigenous peoples, end quote. So that's something to look forward to over the next 49 years. Interesting stuff. Thank you, Z. Thank you, Althea. Zian Lum is a politics reporter in HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau, and she's a producer on Follow Up. And that's our show. We've got one more show to mark the closing of Centre Block to round out the year, and then we'll be back in your feed when the House resumes in 2019. If you've enjoyed this episode, or follow-up in general, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if there's anything you want to share about what you've heard, or you want to tell us something you'd like to hear, send me a message on Facebook or Twitter. My handle is at Althea Raj, that's A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J. This episode of Follow Up was produced by Zian Lum and me, Althea Raj. Our lovely technical producer is Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. Happy holidays! <laughs>